Hey everybody, it's us and we're here to talk to you about, get this, our book. We have a Stuff You Should Know book coming out this November and you're going to love it and you can pre-order it now. That's right. It's called Stuff You Should Know, colon, <laughs> an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things. And it's been a lot of fun to work on and we're really... I mean, genuinely excited about how this thing has come together. Yep. It's 26 chunky, hairy chapters that are just going to knock your socks clean off. And yes, Chuck, we are indeed proud of this book. It is truly, indubitably the first Stuff You Should Know book. And it's coming out this November, and you can order it now, pre-order, everywhere you get books. So do that. And we thank you in advance. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. And this is Stuff You Should Know. Thank you for calling 1-800-PODCAST. Go ahead, caller. Oh, that would be great, Chuck. We right? need to get that. We need to get that before we, re- we release this episode. Because some somebody, somebody, maybe a Resborg person is going to snag that. <laughs> and we'll have to pay through the nose for it. I thought there were so many very interesting things about this very seemingly mundane topic. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just think it's interesting that 800 numbers seem like something that would have gone the way of 900 numbers. Mm -hmm. But they're still around. And the days where the Internet is thriving and the Yellow Pages are – I don't even – do they still have Yellow Pages? I think – yeah, I don't know. I think. I think. I remember this one comedian years ago was talking about the phone books when people are still getting phone books. Right. And he was he, – the joke was something about dropping out. Let me drop off a four-pound, very small portion of the internet on your front porch. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then they just stopped doing that altogether. Yeah, I know that they were doing it as recently as a few years back because they, so they would get dropped off once in a while at the mailboxes at our condo. And – um so, I mean, within the last 10 years for sure, five years maybe, I think is the last time I saw one. So maybe they stopped because I haven't seen it in a little while. But, yes, yeah, so toll-free numbers, 800 numbers. They persist. They do, and it, it, they really do. So this this uh, How Stuff Works article, I think the last the last number they had was from 2008, and it said that there were 24 million working toll-free phone numbers in North America. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about free phone numbers. Apparently in the United States, we call it toll-free numbers. Everywhere else in the world is called, or the English-speaking world at least, it's free phone numbers. One word. So um, there were 24 million in 2008. But get this. Since the advent of 800 numbers, they've released one, two, three, four, four, five, six, seven different prefixes of toll-free numbers. Everything mm-hmm. from 800, 888, 877, all the way down to 833 is where we're at now. Mm-hmm. And I did I did a little math. I'm kind of proud of myself for this one, Chuck, so if you bear <laughs> with me for a second. For a seven-digit number, mm-hmm. you have uh, nine million total possible combinations because it starts technically with 1 million and goes up to 9,999,999. So you have 9 million total combinations in there. So each of those prefixes allows for 9 million combinations. So there's at least, if there's seven prefixes, that means that there's at least 54 million plus f- a, a, a toll-free numbers 
in use in America today to justify that many prefixes. You know what I can't wait for? What? That math person to write in <laughs> and correct you. And Do say, it. No, 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 Josh. That's You forgot about blank. I will argue with you all day long. I got this right. I got it right for once. Uh, lots of toll-free numbers. And like you said, they go down to 833 now. I think eventually they're going to get 822-880-887 and 889 involved. Never 811 or 899, apparently. Yeah, supposedly uh, someone found an ancient text in Aramaic that predicted that if 811 were ever instituted, that's when the universe ends. Can't do it. Nope. So when you dial a number, what this is all about, and actually two things, what it used to be about was largely for when calls cost money to make long distance. It was a way to route that charge back to the person you're calling. Yeah, it was automatic collect calls. That's right. So if you were, you know, they advertise it as toll-free, you don't have to pay a toll on it, we're going to eat that cost, and you'll know it because it's an 800 number. Then over the years, it became more and more of a sort of just, if you want to be a legitimate business, and especially a regional business or national or international business, Uh then you kind of had to have an 800 number, even once tolls... uh, phone charges and things and long distance kind of became a thing of the past. It just became sort of a, I mean, sort of a calling card for lack of a better word as, hey, we're a legit big company. We've got an 800 number. Exactly. We're the third largest maker of bunk and trundle beds. Here's our 800 number. And in the old days, I mentioned the Yellow Pages where you would advertise. It's so quaint to think about now. Oh, man, it is. Where you would advertise in this big yellow book about your business. Yeah. And let your fingers do the walking. But back then, it was also 800 numbers were a way that you could save money by not having to advertise in the Yellow Pages because you've got, you know, 1-800, you know, house painter. Right. Or this article, this How Stuff Works article, cites a construction company (laughs) called Asphalt Sources, Inc., which got, (laughs) I guess, a catchy 800 number and downsized their Yellow Pages ad and saved more than $27,000 by doing so. Yeah. And, to be honest, it probably didn't hurt that they were also cited in a How Stuff Works article about (laughs) toll-free numbers. Yeah, that that was clunky, but definitely an example of how things used to be. It, yeah, but but that's the point of 800 numbers, and that's also, from what I can tell, the reason that they still persist today is that if you have a catchy 800 number, like you said, it makes you seem like a, a player as far as business goes, but also um, it's a way to advertise. Like, I I haven't seen the Empire Today ad in three to five years, but I can tell you that the, the number's still 800-588-2300, Empire Today. Yeah. You remember that one? Yeah, what that about is, Cars for Kids? I don't remember that one. One eight seven seven cars for kids. <laughs> I've never heard that one. Really? But I would probably remember that one. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get to that a little in a little more depth. Those are called vanity numbers. Sure. Um, but yeah, and there are statistics, and they are pretty um, stark in how much people remember that compared to just some regular old number. Right. So there's reasons for eight hundred numbers, and the fact that they're still around, there's reasons for that too. But they they started. 
all the way back in 1967. And it's like you said, it was a way to um, to make it easy for people to place collect calls, which was there were two ways to, to make a long-distance call. Either you paid for it yourself, it showed up on your phone bill, or you could call the person you were calling collect, which meant that you you dialed the operator. You oh, said man. you wanted to place a collect so call. Great. The operator called that number for you and said, hey, I've got Josh and Chuck on the line. Uh-huh. Um, will you accept the charges is what they asked. And the other person would inevitably say no and hang up. If it had been somebody else, they might have said yes. And then that person who was receiving the call, they would be billed for that. That takes a lot of time and effort for a phone call or for a phone company's operators to do that. So the whole point of 800 numbers was to automate the process, to take the operator out of it. And so the person would say, I'm receiving these calls at this number. Go ahead and bill me for them just without even asking. Yeah, and and I think that story illustrates why... I believe my theory is correct that Gen X is the greatest generation. So great, man. Because we we saw those early days that now feel like we were in the 1920s yeah. with stuff like this and three TV channels growing up uh, or three major networks rather. Sure, yeah. But we're also – we're young enough to where the um, technological boom didn't confuse us. Right, or pass us by. Uh, or pass us by, and we we've got we could dip our toe into both. You know, we could grow up on '70s music and also go to a, a EDM concert, right? Without like being weird. Yeah, I think you're right, Chuck. We we might be the greatest generation. We're, per- ever. we're the perfect generation. Perfect. That's right. I guess greatest <laughs> generation is taken. So yeah, well, of course. Um, in '67, it started, like you said, and the very first business to have an 800 number, apparently was a company that just hosted numbers for other companies, mainly like car rentals and hotels and stuff like that. Yeah, I think they were like a call center. Yeah, and so they went out of business, and then all those businesses that were using them said, oh, well, we got to get 800 numbers now ourselves. Right, but the thing is, is AT&T was the only one with 800 numbers. Because back in the day, AT&T, also known as Ma Bell, was like the— basically had a monopoly as far as telephones were concerned in the United States. Illegally had a monopoly. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, if you wanted an 800 number, you went to AT&T, you got your 800 number, and then you paid through the nose for it. They would charge many, many times more than they would have charged the caller had the caller just been billed themselves for placing this long-distance call just for this toll-free service. Um, And that's just the way it was until, I believe, 1984. It was 1984 when trust buster Ronald Reagan saw to it that Ma Bell was broken up into all the regional bells. Yeah, so then, of course, when that happened, that opened up the world of competition and the telephone industry in the United States kind of for the first time. And then, of course, what happens is the cost to get an 800 number goes way, way down. Mm-hmm. You can get a lot more businesses getting them. And then it just sort of became the standard for any business that wanted to be even, like I said, a regional business. There was also a really big innovation that gets overlooked, too, that was actually created by a guy named Roy Weber, who was an AT&T engineer. And Roy Weber basically figured out how to use 800 numbers, not as phone numbers that were connected to a certain point in the telephone system, but as a basically a code that could be translated at a database into 
instructions or like, hey, here's this number they put in. What are the instructions for this? And in doing so, he figured out how to make toll-free numbers go from regional to truly national. Because up until 1980, you had to have a regional toll-free number for each region. And if you were a national company, like, say, Hertz or something like that, you had a dozen or more toll-free numbers that you had to manage. Thanks to Roy Weber, uh, who patented this, but AT&T owns the patent, um, so he saw jack from it besides the salary. Um, This changed everything and made it a truly national thing to where one one single 800 number could serve the entire country for a business. And it, it made the whole thing a lot um, technically smoother, too, from what I understand. Yeah, that was uh, sort of one of two big things that happened. Um, the other one was in 1994 when a law was passed that said you can port your phone number between carriers. So if you're with one carrier and you're not too happy, back in the old days, pre-94, that meant you had to change your telephone number. And that was no good for a business that was trying to grow or a business that was already big, especially. And so that 94 law guaranteed that portability. Uh, You could take your phone number with you, and that was a really big, big kind of sea change in the industry. Yeah. You could pick up your phone number and carry it across uh, land to the next body of water. That's right. (laughs) Should we take a break? Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Okay, Chuck. Um, so we're at, what, 1994 when we could port our phone numbers? Yeah, and that was kind of the last big change. That's when things started growing so much that they had to, I think in 96, they introduced 888, uh, 98. It seems like every couple of years they started introducing new, um, what are they called, prefixes? Yeah. Yeah, prefix exchanges. Yep. So we're down to 833, right? I think that's where we are currently. And then I've never the, seen that though. Have you? I have not. Not that I've ever noticed. But now I don't. I don't even pay attention. I don't call anything. I just go online. If I have to call, I'll call. But I don't like it at all. And most of the time, <laughs> when I do, I'm just looking it up on my phone and clicking like the call thing. I very rarely type in a number anymore. Yeah. And yet, bizarrely, 800 numbers haven't gone anywhere. And again, apparently, it's because of the the whole um, marketing thing. Um, which is why they're still around today. Yeah. And then one other kind of like um, connection to the, the the information age, the age of the internet and computers and all that stuff um, that 800 numbers have, is that there was a, a period from about 2007, 8, 9 maybe, up until about 2014, where the concept of, a, a say, like a provider paying for your data when you went on to a certain website, say they had a website where they wanted to teach you all about their new phones or something like that, you uh, would not be, you, you wouldn't be using any data while you were on that site. And they originally called it 1-800-DATA at oh, first. Interesting. And then they dropped that around 2015, and that was that. <laughs> so here's something that I found that is so boring that I found so weirdly fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that is the notion of the responsible organization. Mm. Uh, maybe it's because it's the name. 
<laughs> it just sounds really weird. It sounds like a Scientology, <laughs> like, like Absolutely. subsection or something. The RESP org. Yeah. Uh, so when you call a, well, first of all, all these, all these numbers, all these 800 numbers are housed in a database called the 800 Service Management System, the SMS 800. And they know a, every single exchange of the 800 variation and if it's available, if it's being used and how to route them. And if you want one of these, you have to contact something called a responsible organization. Mm-hmm. And that's just not a descriptor like, all right, <laughs> I'll contact uh, UNICEF because they're pretty responsible. Pretty responsible. It's called a responsible organization. It's it's basically like a domain name registrar right. for telephone for 800 numbers. And it could be a company that does this, or you could be a human being at home in your basement that has set yourself up to be a RESP org. Yeah, you just have to be certified by the FCC. Um, I'm not sure how. I didn't get to see how. But once you are certified, then you have access to this database, and you can legally say, nope, this number is now taken by this person. I think so you just have to leave ask. it alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> ask like, nicely. Yeah, sure, why not? Right. Um, <laughs> Who cares? They're watching you, and if, if you help a, a, an old lady or man across the street right. in front of the FCC <laughs> building in D.C., they take notice. Yeah, sure. You're responsible. It's all just one big test. <laughs> but the, um, the RESP org, I think what bothers me is that stupid abbreviation for it. RESP org? Yeah, yeah. RESP org. And the O is capitalized, even though it's one word in a, as an abbreviation. <laughs> But the, the, the point is it can be anybody. At first it was just phone companies that were able to do that, and then it, it kind of became more democratized in the 90s. Um, and that from that point, at the moment it became democratized, it became corrupt almost immediately. Uh, yeah, I mean corrupt in the sense that um, it's, I think some ne'er-do-wells, some non-responsible people said, <laughs> right. hey, this would be a pretty easy way to take advantage of people. Um, by acting as a middleman and charging someone 50 bucks to say I can find them a toll-free number. Uh, here you go. Here's your number. Right, which that in and of itself, there's no problem with that. The, and apparently the FCC doesn't have any problems with that. If you set yourself up as a service— Well, if you're really doing it, yeah. Yes. So if you if you say, okay, you can come to my website and you can look up a number and I will try to find it for you. And if it's available, I will I will get it for you. And I'm going to charge you a fee for that. There's nothing wrong with that, morally, legally, or otherwise. The problem comes in where some of these Resborgs say, uh, yes, it's 50 bucks to search. And then, oh, yeah, this, this number that ends in pain, P-A-I-N, that's going to cost you an extra grand. That totally flies in the face of the FCC rules surrounding phone numbers of any kind, including toll-free numbers, which is that they're they're meant to be totally neutral. You're not supposed yeah. to be able to profit off of a phone number whatsoever. Um, you can profit off of like the search and all that stuff, but a particular phone number is not is supposed to be doled out on a first come first served service uh, basis with zero zero dollars attached to it whatsoever, and that's just not how it works. Yeah, so you can't goose somebody if Dr. Payne wants 1-800. Or T-Pain. T-Pain, tooth pain. No, just T-Pain. <laughs> your, your dentist can't get that one. No, because T-Pain's got it. Well, they, well, they might could get it, but they can't pay extra for it. It's first come, first served always. Um, you are uh, only allowed to subscribe to the amount of toll-free numbers that you actually intend to use. So you can't just go get a bunch, like lock up a bunch Right. Kind of like you can do with domain names, actually, now that I think about it. 
Yeah, you can't do that with 800 numbers. Can't do it. Uh, You also, to prevent this kind of hoarding, they mandate that you allocate that reserve number within eight months. So it's got, I guess, it's got to be in use within eight months. They have terms for this, actually. Brokering is selling and profiting from numbers. Yeah. There's hoarding and then there's warehousing. Warehousing is where you you take numbers even though there's there's no one that you're directly getting it for. And then hoarding is getting a bunch of numbers, sitting on them and selling them. And this is a big no-no. But for a very long time, it seemed to um, the FCC and the people running the FCC that it was not worth enforcing. Right. Until, I guess it got kind of... Um, kind of wild westy and there was a company called IT Connections that was fined 3.7 million dollars they sound so sketchy in, already in 2000 oh yeah these are all like spam kings who came up with a sideline of like selling telephone numbers and their whole thing is no they're just performing a service and then when the FCC says well then why isn't your service the same regardless of any number they say well this is all just supply and demand well there's not supposed to be any supply and demand it's supposed to be first come first serve um but that's and apparently they just looked the other way until I believe 2017 when the IT Connect or Connection company got hit with that fine. You know, those types of places disgust me more than just about anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's the ones that like uh you know what I'm talking about like Oh yeah. the people that are like looking just looking for the loopholes to exploit so they can rip someone off. The yeah, the kind of people who carry like a neck brace in their back seat at all times in case yeah. they ever get rear end. Or like IP trolls and uh mm-hmm. uh yeah. I mean we can't go down that road too much, but the podcast industry, you know, kind of went through a pretty famous situation like that a few years ago and mm-hmm. I don't know, man. People that just just go out and do some hard work. Yeah. You know? S- stop stock speculating. Don't look for the the angle. <laughs> right. To, you know, to get rich. Yeah, because you're not creating anything. You're just sucking the life out of stuff. Oh, God, it's just so upsetting. Uh, like you said, the FCC wasn't paying a lot of attention, so these things have been sold on eBay to at big, fat price tags. Um, and beyond just the FCC not paying attention is uh, apparently this rest borgs, it's, it's just hard to keep track, and they can be disorganized. Yeah. There's no real system to get it all cleaned up. And so inadvertently this can happen too. Yeah. There was one famous case, though, too, that that went to circuit court, I think, maybe. I don't remember. But there was a Mercedes dealer in in, um, Minneapolis in St. Paul who had, since the 80s, 800 Mercedes. And it went to his— pure gold. His, yeah, it went, he said that it, it, he, he, he cites that as reviving um, just kind of a ho-hum Mercedes dealership, that, that phone number. So That's he crazy. wasn't about to give it up when Mercedes came around and said, hey, we want that for our national customer service. He said no. And they sued him for it. They basically tried to get him on copyright infringement. And the, I guess the judge or the jury found, like, no, you can't. Like, like a toll-free number is not copyright infringement. And so Mercedes, to this day, you have to call 800-4-F-O-R Mercedes, <laughs> yeah. which does the other thing, that. Chuck. You know my famous um, dislike of acronyms <laughs> yeah. that don't include a, a word? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, a phone number, a toll-free phone number that includes letters that go beyond the number of possible numbers you can use, uh-huh. that really bugs me, too. <laughs> I think because it, was, it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I figured out what was going on. Yeah. Like, I would type the whole thing out and uh-huh. be like, you know, connect, 
And I'd be like, I'm not done dialing yet. I bet it was satisfying for that judge to be able to shoot down a big corporation like that mm-hmm. under the you know prior settled law of you snooze, you lose. <laughs> Sorry, Mercedes. Yeah. Just because you're huge. Sorry. Yep. Finders keepers and you snooze, you lose. Man, wouldn't court be, be like kids court? Yeah. Why isn't that a show? Captain Kangaroo Court. Nah, come on. <laughs> so um, I think it's high time, Chuck, since we were talking about the 800 Mercedes case, the very famous legal case in the United States. We talk about vanity numbers because that is as vanity a number as there ever has been. The singer Vanity could have a phone number and it still wouldn't be more of a vanity number than 800 Mercedes. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we, we mentioned it earlier. These are a pretty tremendous uh, advertising perks for a company. If you get a, if you land on a 800 Flowers or 1-800-GO-FEDEX, um, you've struck gold because that will stick in someone's head. Uh, they have done studies over the years. There was one where they showed an 84% improvement in recall mm-hmm. over numeric phone numbers and uh, from like a TV ad or a billboard. Yeah. And if you're listening to the radio, it goes from 72% recall to 5% recall if it's got a catchy little jingly, uh, especially when there's a song attached to it, a toll-free vanity number. Yeah. That's and a I'm, huge, huge difference. Absolutely true. I can't imagine how much money FTD has gotten from that 1-800-Flowers phone number. Is that theirs? Yeah. It, I think they even have, I think their website is 1-800-Flowers.com. They, they got in there early, I guess, huh? All these, yeah. all these generic ones. Either that or they know how to work the system and push people around better than uh, Mercedes lawyers do. Yeah, they send in the guy with the little winged hat and loincloth. What? Start shoving people around. Isn't that, wasn't that FTD's? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I was symbol, like, you're describing guy? Hermes. <laughs> you're like, do, why? Am I, do I have a video camera on me? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it totally was. He was Is that Hermes? Fast. Hermes or Mercury, I think. Um, so I, I mentioned, you know, those good generic ones. It is great if you have 1 800 flowers, of course, but sure. uh, they interviewed someone for this How Stuff Works article who knows a lot about this stuff. Quimby. And they say, uh, and Quimby says, yeah, you know, these generic ones are fine, but they're all taken. What you really want these days is to get in there and actually try and say something about your company as well. Right. So instead of 1-800-CAR-LOANS, it's 1-800-QUICK-LOAN or 1-800-FAST-CLOSER. That, to me, would be a red flag to stay away from that mortgage company. You think? Fast-closer? Yeah, 1-800-FAST-CLOSER. Yeah, which is, and you'll note that it doesn't have to be uh, seven digits. It can be over seven digits, obviously. Which drives me batty. Why, just because the extra number? Yeah, it's it's just not, it's just not, it, it's not, it's missing the mark. So Anybody can do that. One, two, three, one, two, three. So that would be 1-800-FAST-CLO? Yeah. <laughs> just go with that. And then and then make it part of your ad that the s is silent. <laughs> or 1-800-QUICK-LOAN would be 1-800-QUICK-LOA. <laughs> yes. I would remember that. I would remember that. I feel like we I should get an 800 number. I, I had the same thought, actually. Did you really? Yeah. What would we, we do with it? 800 podcast is actually perfect. 
Or what we do with it? I don't know. We could we could leave messages on it once in a while. Or secret instructions. We could do a nine hundred number. Yeah, and make some cash. And we'll talk about that right after this. So, Chuck, you're right. A 900 number makes way more sense because we could be rolling in it if it were 1990. Yeah, I think younger listeners might not fully appreciate the fact that there was a point in time. <laughs> How many years did this? It was so the, less than the, 10 even. The hey, yeah, it was. The heyday was basically 87 to I think about 93, 94. Until people maybe? really figured out what a ripoff it was. Yeah, yeah so about was, six years. There was a time, a six-year period in this country where you could set up a 900 number mm-hmm. that was, uh, it could be anything. But anything. It was basically an audio message of some kind. Yeah. And people would pay a ton of money to call in to speak, to hear about the Kiss Army or to hear about Tiffany, the singer, or Grandpa Munster mm-hmm. or – the the psychic hotline or the yeah, Ms. Bored, Ms. Cleo. bored sexy roommates like you yep. name it yeah yeah a lot of them especially were um uh what would they call them phone sex they, phone sex that's right but a lot um, of them weren't no but they so there was this there was this idea that so early on a lot of them were and then it spread out into more and more ideas but it was stuck it was kind of saddled with that idea that it was all just phone sex lines yeah uh, unfairly but that was the reputation it had but yeah you could you could do anything and the whole thing started very simply and primitively i believe with um not it wasn't the first one nasa wasn't the first one but nasa had one of the first successful ones which i just love yeah 82 it was called dial a shuttle and at one nine hundred nine zero nine NASA, you could listen to conversations between ground control and the the astronauts on the space shuttle, which is a huge That's hit. Pretty cool. There was like um, a million people called in in nineteen eighty two alone, um, and every single one of those people were paying, from what I saw, a minimum of two dollars a minute. When you call the nine hundred number, two dollars was the was the base mm-hmm. that I think like the, your phone company was going to charge for the service. And then whatever extra beyond $2 it was, was what the uh, the entrepreneur, the 900 number information provider was charging. So if you paid two ninety five a minute, for every minute of content that you sat there and listened to on your phone, you were paying that person who was just some schmo yeah. who record, had somebody record some stuff for a 900 number. They were getting a dollar a minute for every single person that called in. And very quickly... From when this started in 1987, when AT&T started a program that said you can provide your own content and get your own 900 number, mm-hmm. um, it made a lot of people very rich, like, very quickly. Yeah, it was a way to make a lot of dough fast. Um, I think there was this one meeting. Uh, I, don't, I was about to call it a famous meeting. It wasn't famous at all. <laughs> it was uh, Appalachian. Yeah, it was this meeting that they reference in this article, at least. Where'd you get this? Price Nomics. Oh, Price Nomics, man. God bless them. This is by Sean Ravive. Yeah, it's a good article. It's very it's cool. The Rise and Fall of the 900 Number. Uh, but this was a telecom strategist named Bruce uh, Kushnick who helped Sprint start their own 900 service in the late 80s. And he said that he remembers a meeting where they had 25 or so 
of the first developers that did this in a room and said, raise your hand if you're a millionaire. And like almost everyone raised their hand. And they were just, they were, they had to know that it was a short window, I think, which is probably why they, they weren't just like, yeah, I'll just do this one number. They were like, it's a gold mine out there for probably five years. Yeah, and if you were like a celebrity, like Hulk Hogan or oh yeah, uh, really any WWF wrestler, Glow wrestler, or New Kids on the Block, or DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, like some guy would come up to you and say, "Hey, I've got this business idea for you, and we're going to charge three ninety five, and we're going to split a dollar ninety five. Yeah, all you have to do is read this, yeah. you know, five minute message. script, <laughs> you know, once a week or once every two weeks or something like that, oh, and then that's it. We're going to." split this money and it made a, a bunch of money. It was really popular for, for a very brief time. And the reason why it was popular was because it was, um, as uh, Sean Revive puts it, it was like a proto-internet. Yeah. Except rather than everything being free and then advertising driven, where you get the content free, but you, you know, have, you're subjected to ads, which sounds vaguely familiar for some reason, um, you paid for this free content. Yeah, and it, but it, it had such a range, like you were talking about, everything from like DJ Jazzy Jeff doing something to uh, vote for Miss America or some legitimate things like, and I don't know how good or legit it was, but you can get tax help or insurance um, advice or whatever, right? Or tech support to play Wheel of Fortune, like interactive Wheel of Fortune or farm commodity prices. Yeah, it was just all over the map. People realized we can get information to people and charge a lot of money for it. And especially if there are children involved, you can basically trick them into running up a huge bill that their parents are going to have to pay. Yeah, man, that Santa one. Do you remember that? I remember, man, totally. So there was the Santa line. Chuck, you got to tell them about the Santa line. Well, the Santa, (laughs) why, because I called it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this was a Santa Claus hotline that asked kids to hold up their phone to the screen. And when they did that, there was a, a tone, a program tone that automatically <laughs> dialed the number that I guess your phone would hear. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this kid was hooked up to a, a Santa Claus hotline where it was probably, I mean, what do you think? It was probably just some Santa Claus saying that he was working very hard on everyone's gifts yeah, to for, be a good boy. Yeah, for minutes and minutes and minutes, for two ninety five or more a minute. So the kid didn't even dial the number. Like, the, the ad dialed it for them with the tones. Yeah, and that was one of the one of the big fraudulent things about a lot of these. And some of them are legit. They might have been dumb, but they weren't, like, literally ripping you off by causing these long delays. Right. But a lot of them would do these long delays. And <laughs> I don't know about the Santa one, but I could totally see, like, what's your name, son? Well, let me see what I've got for you. And then for the next 10 minutes, like, (laughs) well, it's not this one. Let me look in this other room over here. Could you spell your name again? Yeah, and like a kid would sit there for 30 minutes waiting to see what Santa had for him. Yeah, there was, there was, it was pretty perennial, um, the the headlines or articles about some family that got hit with like a $10,000 phone bill or something like that. Um, There was one girl who famously called um, the Two Corys hotline. Yeah. 216 times. <laughs> yeah, that commercial's on YouTube. Yeah, there's actually, there's a BuzzFeed article called 30 of the Weirdest 900 Numbers yeah, from the great. 90s. And they mentioned one that I hadn't heard of before that I'm not convinced 
isn't a internet meme, like a fake internet meme, but is the uh, the crying number where this ad mentions it's like, why are all these people crying? To find out, call this number. And these people are having like this kind of cathartic, sobbing cry on the phone. And it looks real, but it's so tantalizingly wrong that it isn't quite 90s. It's way more of the 21st century and like the idea of it than than that. So I'm not sure it's real. I couldn't find anything about it either other than there's this ad that exists. There was nobody on the internet who's like, I called this and yes, this is totally real. Yeah. um, The the Priceonomics article mentions another one where there was, and I think these were pretty common too, and this is the, just the worst when you're, like, preying on someone that needs work. Yeah. Uh, when you would call a 900 number for driver jobs um, at $20 a call, but what they didn't tell you was is there was only, like, two or three positions. Mm-hmm. So they get all these people calling in at 20 bucks a pop for the same three positions. Right. It's just so mean. There was also a, a hotline that you could call, a 900 number, that charged you $25 to learn how to set up your own 900 hotline. Yeah. <laughs> that one makes sense. That one might have paid off. And then, but you then, know, the phone sex, it was, that was a big, big thing. And right. um, I never called any of those, but those uh, in, the, in the Robert Altman movie Shortcuts, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee was a phone sex operator. Oh, and yeah, that's right. There's some very funny scenes of her, like, with a baby in one arm and a cigarette and, like, doing her uh, ironing and okay. house cleaning while she was, like, you know, talking dirty. I was trying to remember what what movie it was. It was Shortcuts. I was thinking it was isn't um, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, there's a there's okay. a, a sex line subplot in that one too. Who is it? Who's the love interest in that? Uh, in Punch Drunk Love, the love yeah. interest is it uh, was it Emily Watson. Okay, and she name? was she yeah she was she was the one who was doing the phone sex line, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman was like the owner of it. No, I don't think she worked for him. Philip Seymour Hoffman was... Uh, oh, he was blackmailing yeah. Adam Sandler. That's right. Oh, I finally saw Uncut Gems, man. Jesus. Oh, yeah? Did you like I mean, it or hate it? I, I hated it. Did you really? I hated it more than I've hated <laughs> any movie in a while. And it's I feel so bad divisive. because it's possible those brothers listened to this and I know it must have, it was clearly they worked very hard on it and like they must be very proud of it, but I hate that movie. Oh, man. It was my favorite movie of the year. You're crazy. I'm not crazy. It's a lot of people's favorite movie. Wow. I'm no, I'm just saying, Chuck, I'm surprised that you think it was the well. I loved it. Okay. Wow. Well, we disagree on that one. No, I mean, it's a divisive movie. Uh, I haven't met many people. We've been a lot we've done a lot of stuff on that on Movie Crush and I haven't talked to many people that are like, I don't know, I could take it or leave it. It was all right. Most sure. people are like, I loved it and I love that those guys bring that kind of intensity and stress to a film. Uh, and some people are just like, uh, uh. Oh, it was it was almost exclusively the ending for me. The very very end. Yeah. Oh, I loved the ending. No, you don't get to do that. <laughs> That's against all the rules, man. Oh gosh, I thought it was so great. No, and I liked Good Time. I thought that was a cool movie. Yeah. Yeah. This, but no, this and Good Good Time followed the rules. This one didn't follow the rules, and I hate that movie for it. I loved it. Well, since we um, started talking about <laughs> movies, I guess that's it for toll-free and 900 numbers. Yeah, I don't have anything else. It's uh, it's pretty to think about that they're both sort of relics, but 800 numbers survived and 900 numbers. Are there any anymore? I don't know. We're going to find out. If there are, we might set one up. Let's look into it. All right. 
Okay. 976 evil. But ours could go to charity or something. Sure. Sure. Half of it. <laughs> so, uh, I guess then, what, Chuck, it's time for listener mail? It is. This is uh, Wasp-related. The band? Oh, if only. Uh, hey, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry, or whoever is producing. <laughs> That's what it's come to. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I've been a listener for seven or eight years, ever since I got an internship that put me in a car four hours a day, five days a week. Your recent story about wasps reminds me of my own childhood experience with a wasp. I was around six or seven, and I was swinging at my neighbor's house when all of a sudden my butt started to hurt, like really bad. Mm -hmm. So I did what was natural, ran home screaming for my mom. Not sure where she was, but my dad was upstairs and asked what was wrong, and I just said, my butt really hurts. And he sort of laughed, but he could tell I was in serious pain, so he told me to drop my shorts, and he gasped. Uh, he said it was really red, and there was a wasp still in his underwear, still oh. stinging me. Oh, no. Uh, I guess he killed it. I don't really remember that part, just being in the tub afterwards. Uh, and you mentioned a wasp can sting up to 10 times. We counted 13 stings on my left butt cheek. Oh, my gosh. And that is from uh, Michael Brown in Portland, Oregon. Man, Michael, glad you made it through that one. I uh, wonder how you feel about wasps even after our episode on it. Do you imagine being a little kid and running home with a wasp in your underwear? No. I can't be I can't imagine being a wasp in some little kid's underwear while they're running home either. <laughs> yeah, because you know, that's not going to come to a good end. You might as well <laughs> no. get all the stings in you can. I feel a bath coming. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Michael. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Michael did to let us know some horrible traumatic thing that happened to you when you were a kid, we'd love that stuff. You can send it in an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.